Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Good morning, everyone. How are we going? Good? Excellent. Firstly, back at school this week, and I was on the Gold Coast the whole week. So I had a great week. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, the pastors and the church went to our national conference uh, from Tuesday through to Friday. So it was an awesome week. And some great speakers, which I'll talk a little bit later on. Uh, today is the 23rd of April. And uh, this week, uh, as you will know, um, in all over Australia, New Zealand, around the world, people will be celebrating Anzac Day, remembering Anzac Day, the, the sacrifice that was given for us to enjoy the freedoms we have today. And so this morning, I just wanted to read to you. I want you to read to you a poem that was written by a guy called Guy Woolridge. Uh, he's an Englishman. And I want to read that to you this morning before we start the service to uh, just to remember, to remember uh, the sacrifice that was given for us this morning. It's called, it's called 1135. It goes like this. To those who chose to be so brave, to those who rest within the grave, to the ones who fell and did not rise, with bayonets in hand and fear in eyes, to those who lay in Flanders fields, to those blanketed in poppy seeds, to the trench diggers, barbed wire barges and front foot chargers, to the privates, lieutenants and camp at war tenants, to the ones who didn't make it back alive, may they know John 11.35. To those fighting at sea, sea or land, to those who see war at first hand, to the Normandy landers, the beach stormers and cliff climbers, to those who lived at the sword and died at the sword, to the war zone patrollers and the fresh faced enrollers, to the heat seeking missile controllers, to the every generation of soldiers, may their hearts bind to two words from John 11.35. To those who battles back at home, to those isolated and alone, to those who grieve and no loss of sleep, to those with pain that cuts so deep, to those who know the ache of loss, to those who paid such a cost, to those who know their loss of their soulmate, to the ones who not yet know their fate, to the thinkers, feelers and mind blockers, to the bedridden and rage driven, to the unforgiving and unforgiven, to those whose joy was long left behind, May they know John 11.35. To those who fight for what is right. To those who long to reunite. To those who know the time is close. To those who know that pain the most. To those who feel there is nothing left. To those fighting to their final breath. To the cancer bearer and the cancer carers. To the last post players and the hopeless full slayers. To the light searchers, may they find. At the end of tunnel is John 11.35. To those who breathe with lung-filled pain and wonder why the world is still the same. To the ones who have given up on faith. To the ones who feel that nowhere's safe. To the ones who see through suffering mists. To the ones who doubt that God exists. To the screamers, the tearers and silent speakers. To the guilt-built and shame-keepers. May they know that he weeps with us. To those who replay trauma in their mind. May they know John 11.35. May we all know John 11.35. Let's pray. 
Lord God, help us this day to remember the sacrifice of those first Anzacs, Australian and New Zealander, the generations of men, women and children who have died in the cause of liberty and peace. Help us to remember those who still bear the physical, mental scars and disabilities of their service. Help us to remember the widows, girlfriends, parents, orphans and all those who waited in vain for the return of a loved one. Help us to remember the mateship, agony, courage and compassion of war. But save us from ever glorifying the horror of war and the tragedy of conflict. Lord God, help us to remember. Amen. Amen. So in light of probably the most solemn day in our calendar, April 25th, we acknowledge the fact that war produces loss, yes? And loss produces grief. And grief, if left unchecked, produces hopelessness, hopelessness, faithlessness and despair. Who's feeling good about coming to church this morning? Who feels positive? Positive message. Ray's like, yes. Hi, thank you, Ray. He's positive. I'm not going to dwell on loss. I'm not going to get bogged down in grief because today we're going to talk about overcoming. Overcoming. We, can t- we started a series at the start of the year about overcoming. We can continue it this morning. Overcoming grief. Overcoming grief. But before we get there, before we delve into that sometimes murky or uncomfortable topic of grief, we remember one thing. Remember John 11.35, Jesus wept. Remember, before we start, that God weeps with us. Jesus wept. He weeps with us. So let us remember that God is with us. And I believe that God wants to do something this morning. I believe that God wants to help people overcome things that have happened to them in the past, things that are happening to them now. I pray that you'll be open this morning what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. So what is grief? We need to be on the same page. What is grief? If you look up the word grief in the dictionary, you'll get a million different definitions. If you search it on Google, that will tell you a whole different thing. So what is grief? I think we all need to be on the same page so we understand what we're talking about. So grief, grief is this. Grief is the natural emotional response to loss or change of any kind. So it is a natural, emotional response to loss or change of any kind. Now, even with that definition, there may be some challenging of preconceived ideas of what loss or what grief actually is. When we think of those who are grieving, it is automatic for us to think of someone who lost somebody. Yes? Because loss produces grief. Someone who's lost a loved one, a dear friend, a family member, whatever it is. But the truth is that any loss can produce grief. Any loss. You can lose a pet. I know some people love their pets more than they love some people. I'm not sure if that's you. Don't put your hand up if that's you. Um, I love my dog more than I love some people sometimes, I think. But I won't go into that. I remember uh, we had our first dog. Her name was Missy. She was a Maltese Shih Tzu, a little fluffy white thing. And we got her from friends of ours who were moving on with their lives. And we took over the care of Missy. And when she was 17, so a ripe old age, 17, uh, she was blind, she was incontinent, her hips were gone, and she was suffering. She was in pain. And so we decided to put her down to ease her suffering. So the vets come to the house. I didn't know that. The vets come out and they put her to sleep at your place. We did it in the garden 
And then I buried Missy in our side garden. She's buried there to this day. She died how many years ago? Seven, I think it was. Seven years ago, she passed away. But that day was a day of loss. Sadness, grief. I'm sure Charlie remembers that day. It was sad because we lost a member of our family. But um, grief isn't confined to losing a loved one, whether they be animal, vegetable or mineral. Any loss or change can produce grief. Loss of a relationship, loss of your job, loss of your security, a change in your health. I'm sure there's many people who could testify to one day knowing everything was okay, but then the next day, things are not okay. There's been a change in your health situation, and it produces uncertainty. You've lost the security you had, and now there is grief. It could be a change in your financial situation. Unexpected change, whatever it is, produces grief. Grief. We had our building flooded this last year. Who remembers that? It wasn't that long ago. We spent years, those of us who have been in the church for a long time, we spent years saving, putting money away, preparing for the moment that God would give us opportunity to have our own building in this community. Yes? Our board were good stewards of our gift. And when the opportunity came, we bought this building and we built our home in the community. And then what happened? It flooded. And we had to go back to the school we spent 20 years trying to get out of. Don't get me wrong, the school was great. We had a great relationship with them. We blessed them and they blessed us. We grew in that school, yes? But that wasn't our home. We wanted to get to our home. And we got there. And for years we are loving God's provision and His home. And then, bam! If you were sitting that day, you'd be sitting in water right now. And we lost everything. Maybe you didn't recognize it at the time. Maybe you were grieving what had happened to our church. I can't speak to, to Jim and Pavey, but they lost their house at the same time. They had flooding in their home. I'm sure there was a process of grief, whether they recognized it or not. Unexpected change produces grief. It's a natural response, an emotional response to loss or change. But what does it look like? How do you recognize it? How do you quantify it? Well, I can't really help you with that question, I'm afraid, because grief is a process unique to each individual. Process, grief is a process unique to each individual. First of all, in that statement, grief is a process. It's a process. It's not like one day you have grief and the next day you are grief-free. That's not how it works. It's a process. It's a process we must work through. You've probably all heard of the stages of grief, yes? Stages of grief. Who can tell me how many stages of grief there are? Anyone want to put their hand up and fire? Esther's saying seven at the back. Jim's saying five. He's the registered counsellor. Jane's saying five. If you Google stages of grief, you'll get a number from five to 20. So, you know, it's a but. Uh, Pastor Jim and Jane are technically correct. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the psychiatrist, she popularised the main five stages of grief. Who can tell me what they are? This is your quiz this morning. Who can tell me a stage of grief? Anyone? Anyone at all? What? Denial. Denial is the first one. Anyone else? Anger. Bargaining. Depression. Acceptance. That's the five. 
Okay? Denial, agony, bargaining, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. There has been a lot of work done in this field, a lot of work about grief. And I would like to contend, not my own, but there are other people out there who are more learned than me, professors and psychiatrists, who think there's actually six stages of grief. In addition to the five that we have, there's another one. And I will get to that a little bit later on. The notable point is, is that grief is unique. It's unique. Each of us will process each of those stages differently. And the outworking of our grief can look very different depending on who you are. Some may work through the stages quickly, while others will get to the depressive stage and be stuck there. While others of us will use humour to work through our grief. I'm one of those people. I use humour to work through everything, pretty much. And while the stages of grief are presented as a linear process, one leads to the other, leads to the other, you might not find that's the case with you. You might find yourself denying, but you quickly work through the anger, and then you get back to denying you again. Or you get to bargaining, and you figure bargaining doesn't work, you're trying to bargain your way through things, and it doesn't happen, so you get angry again. And so you're back in anger again. It may not work for you as a linear process. You may bounce back between the different stages. Maybe you've accepted. Maybe you've embraced your new normal. This is how my life is now, with that person gone, or without the change. I've, I've embraced what I've lost and what I have now. But then one day, one day there'll be a smell, or one day something will come on the TV, or someone will say a certain combination of words, and all of a sudden, you find yourself back. Anger, bargaining, depression. You feel yourself unraveling. I want you to understand very clearly, there is no normal or typical response to loss. There is no normal or typical response in grief. It doesn't exist. It is all up to you. Your grief is exactly that. It is yours. It is your grief. There is no model you need to fit into. There's no mold that produces the same shape. The process is yours. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? Here's the important thing. This is what you must take away. No matter what the process looks like, your grief is your grief, there has to be a process. You have to go through a process because if you're not going through a process, then you're not dealing with your grief. There has to be a process. Whatever it looks like for you, that's fine. But there has to be a process because if you're not processing it, you're ignoring it. And if you're ignoring it, it will entangle you. Eventually, eventually it will stop you moving forward in your life because you haven't dealt with it. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. A life of abundance. That's what Jesus wants for us. But grief and loss will prevent us from living the life that God has for us. Because we are focused on what we have lost. We are looking back. People say, oh, the good old days. You know, the good old days. The good old days. They weren't good old days. Because back in those times, you had issues to deal with as well. It's just that you've come through that. And you think, I survived that. They were the good old days. I survived that. That's fine. You have to have a process. You must work through your grief. Because God is not about what you have done. God is not about where you have come from. God is a God of the future. God is a God of moving forward. 
What did God say through his prophet Jeremiah? I have come to give you plans, a hope, and a future. That's what God wants. God's not about what happened. God's about moving forward. And grief keeps us stuck back there, and God wants us to move up there. So how do we overcome grief? And the first one's a doozy. Don't put it up on the board yet. Thank you. But I want you to get this. I want you to write this down, get your pen out. The first step is it will change your life. How do you overcome grief? Number one, Abby, put it up. You don't. Amazing. You don't. Who's excited? Yes, you don't. You don't overcome grief. Now, before you leave the building, just don't, don't walk out on me, please. Let me, explain. Let me explain what I mean. Whatever loss you experienced, whatever change you have to withstand, or maybe you're having to experience now, or withstanding now, whatever happened, it can't unhappen. Whatever happened, you can't go back in time and make it not happen. Whatever has been done can't be undone. It happened. You can't unhappen what has happened. It is now part of your story. That loss, that change is part of who you are now. It's part of your story. And the thing is, the emotion you felt whenever that happened, whatever it was for you, you can't undo that either. That emotion you felt will always be connected with that thing. You will always remember how you felt when it happened. Always. You can't change that now. That can't be undone. You will always remember the heartache, the loss, the frustration, the anger, whatever it was, that instant that it happened, the loss that occurred, when you found out the news, whatever it was, you remember how you felt in that moment. It will always be connected with the event. But how that event and how that emotion affects you moving forward, you can change. You can change that. What happened can't change. Our emotional reaction that will always be connected to that. But how it impacts us moving forward is completely within our control. How we move forward from what has happened is up to us. You will always remember how you felt, but how you process that and how you move forward from that is completely in your hands. You cannot overcome what has happened. You can't even overcome the connection because you can't disconnect yourself from your emotions. You're not a robot. We can't do that. We can't disconnect ourselves from our reactions in the moment. We can't do that. But we can't overcome this. We can't overcome or even prevent despair. What we can overcome, prevent, is despair. Okay? Remember, grief is a process of many stages. It's a process of many, many stages. But what you can overcome is despair. What is despair? How do you define despair? Despair is simply this. Despair is the absence of hope. That's all it is. Despair is the absence of hope. It's that all-encompassing emotional torment that is hopelessness. You think to yourself, as we grieve our loss... We, we, we go through these changes we don't want. We start to feel that this will never get any better. I will always feel this broken. This pain will always define me. I will never get over this. That's despair. That is hopelessness. 
and we can overcome despair. We can overcome hopelessness because we will not always feel like this. We will not always be this broken. God wants us to move into a place where we take our story with us to a better place and become healthier, stronger Christians, healthier, stronger children of God. We can't disconnect ourselves emotionally from what happens, but we can stop ourselves from spiraling into despair because there is always hope to be found. There is always hope, even when things seem hopeless. Remember the last stage of grief I talked about, number six. Even though grief is not always a linear process, I believe we all have to get to this point. The last stage is finding meaning. The last stage is finding meaning or finding hope. Beyond acceptance of what has happened to us, because acceptance is just understanding it's happened now. I accept what has happened. Beyond that is finding purpose in our grief. Beyond that is finding hope beyond the process, beyond just simply accepting it happened, finding hope in what has happened. So how do we get there? How do we get there? We first recognize, as we have, that you can't change the past. You can't change what has happened to you. You can't unhappen what has happened. And your emotional response to that is normal. It is normal. It is okay. And once you accept that, once you've gotten to that point where you know you can't change what has happened, what you can do is move to the second stage, and that is you can cast your cares on him. You can cast your cares on him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. In case you didn't know, God cares for you. If you walk out of this building, that's all you heard me say, that's fantastic. God cares for you. God loves you. If you didn't know that, watching at home, you didn't know that, God loves you. Uh, we were at the National Conference, and uh, there's a lot of good speakers. And one speaker, uh, he was telling a story. He was telling a story, he was at a church. And he spoke at the church, and he was moving the prophetic. And he was on stage, and he felt God say to him, uh, see the young woman at the back? I want you to call her forward. I have a word for her. And the guy was like, oh, that's great. So he signaled to her, and he said, oh, you come forward, and God's got a word for you. And uh, as she was walking down, the guy was like, okay, God, what's the word? And God was like, no, no, wait till she gets down the front. It's okay. And the guy's like, okay. So she was wandering down, and then she gets to the front, and she's staring at him, and he's staring at her. He's like, okay, God, what's the word? And he waited, and he's thinking, it's going to be a great word. It's going to be amazing. Bells and whistles, it's going to be the best prophetic word you've ever heard in your life. And God said, tell her. He's like, yes. Tell her I love her. That was it. Tell her I love her. And so he goes, God loves you. Go sit back down. That was it. God loves her. That was the word. And the guy was like, that was not what I was expecting. I thought that was going to be some amazing word from God. God loves you. At the end of the service, she came with her friend. And she came to the front. She was talking to the preacher afterwards. And she goes, um, I don't believe in Jesus. My friend invited me. And I said to her, you know what? I'll come if God tells me he loves me. The word was exactly what she needed to hear. So if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know God loves you, God loves you. Just have no doubt. He cares about you. But if you're looking for a bit more, a bit more than God loves you, the other part of that verse says, it says, cast your cares upon him. Cast your cares upon him. 
What does that mean? What does that, what does that really mean? Cast your cares upon him. Now, the word casting there comes from two words. And uh, the root words for casting is actually gives you a picture. It's kind of hard to explain. So simply I'll say it's a picture of give and take. Give and take. That's what the image is. that you give, you cast, if you would, throw out, scatter, with the expectation that you will receive something. So it's not casting, throwing away, then walking away. That's not what it's talking about. It's not saying cast and then leave. When it says cast your cares on him, it's saying lay them down, but expect to receive something in return. That's what it means talking about. So we cast our grief, our loss, our pain onto him because he cares for us. We lay down the burden. We handle that which is causing us pain. We aren't just letting that go and then getting on with our life. That's not what we're doing. That's not what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to let go. Because how hard is it to let go of grief? If you lose someone, how hard is it just to let go of that person? You can't do that. We can't do that. We can't just let go. I heard a guy uh, speak about grief, and he says like an image of like a weightlifter holding a weight. And if you just let go of the weight, what happens? It crushes you. We can't just let go of our grief. We can't let it go and then just get on with our life. That's not how it works. That's not what God is saying when he says, cast your cares upon me. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, cast your cares and I will give you something that you can use in return. You will not leave empty-handed. Cast your cares upon me. And then I will give you something else in your hand that you can use, that is useful. Because your grief is a process. You need to go through that process. But one day you're going to have to let it go because it's no longer of use to you anymore. It is just holding you back. And so God says, lay it down and I will give you something else. I will put something in your hand that you can use. He will give us peace or hope or purpose or promise, whatever it is that you need, God will give to you. We give him our pain, and in return, he gives us peace, hope, promise, purpose. One of them, all of them, I don't know. It's your story. God knows what you need, and he will give you what you need if you cast your cares upon him. Expect to receive, not letting go, because we can't do that. We're people, we have emotions, we are human. God would never expect that out of us. Why? Why would God never expect that? Because God is the God who weeps with us. Because Jesus wept. Jesus knows. God knows. You can't just let it go. You need to cast it, offer it, and then pick up what he has for you in return. He will give you peace that surpasses understanding. Or a hope of things unseen. A hope of a future that we can't imagine yet but is there he'll give us purpose to try and make sense of the grief that we experienced he will give us his promise which we find in his word cast your cares upon him put them down and take what he has for you because he wants you to move forward in his promises number three number three is rely on your community if you want to overcome grief, if you want to move forward, you need to rely on your community. 
one of the greatest mistakes we can make, and we all do this to some degree, is go through the grieving process alone. We think, I don't want to burden other people with my problems. It's my grief. It's, it's my process. I'll, I'll just keep it to myself. The, the poet John Donne, he wrote this. He wrote, no man is an island entire of itself. Each man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. A part of the main. No man is an island. We've all heard that saying before. We've, there's a song written about that as well. I'm not going to sing it for you. But no man is an island. We are all part of the main. We need to connect. We need to rely on each other. Romans 12.15. Romans 12.15 says this. It says, Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. So Paul reminds the church in Rome that Christian fellowship is not just a handshake, a pat on the back, a how's it going, a coffee after church. No, Christian fellowship is about sharing the burdens and blessings of others in order that we can all glorify God. We are meant to share our burdens. Church isn't a social club where you keep your real self at home and you present the lovely, friendly, happy version of yourself at church. That's not what we're about. We are a family. If you come to church this morning and you are not happy, great. That's fantastic. Be who you are, be genuine, and get someone alongside you so they can share your burden. That's what church is meant to be. If we don't have that aspect of church, then we're just another social club. That's not what God calls us to. Be happy with those who are happy, yes, but weep with those who weep. Galatians 6.2, it says this, Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the laws of Christ. Jesus gave us a mandate to serve one another, to be with one another. Here, Paul, Paul sets apart what a believer looks like. That those of us who would follow Jesus, would follow in his footsteps, we are to help restore each other. We're to help each other heal. We are to approach each other with love, respectfulness, care, a listening ear, loving others as Jesus loved us and loves us. We're called to carry each other's grief. Not presume we know how their process is going, not presume what stage of grief they're in, but just to be available. Be available. Sit with, pray with, pray for. Sit there in silence even though it's awkward. Maybe that's exactly what they need. Just someone to be physically next to them. Cook for them. Whatever it is. Share each other's burdens. That's what we're called to do. But in the same way, and here's the flip side, when you are grieving, when you face loss, invite someone to be with you. Open up the doors so people feel that they can carry your burden. Because we shut people off, don't we? We don't want to be vulnerable. But just as we're called to share the person who is lost, the person who is grieving, share their burden, they're called to share our burden. And how do we do that? We make ourselves vulnerable. That's what we're meant to do. Make ourselves vulnerable. Don't shut yourself off. Let them carry your burden. It's not a sin to be dependent on other people, even though we treat like it is sometimes. 
Let others carry you until you find your feet again. It's not forever. It's just for now. Because grief is a lonely road. But it doesn't need to be that way. We treat grief like a lonely road. But it doesn't have to be so. Remember Naomi in the book of Ruth. Lost her husband, lost her sons, determined to walk the long road of grief by herself. She said, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara. That's what she said. What does Mara mean? Bitter. Her grief was leading her to bitterness because she wanted to walk it all by herself. So what did Ruth do? Ruth said to her, she says, wherever I go, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. She walked alongside and helped carry Naomi's burdens. Even Naomi didn't want her to. Ruth was like, nope, you had no choice. I'm doing this. She shared the burden. And in doing so, she sets for us. She teaches us what we are to do. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Walk alongside those people. We need to rely on our community. That means being available to people, but it means being vulnerable to people too. I know that's scary. I get that. That's scary. But that's what we're called. If we can't foster a community of sharing each other's burdens, then what point has the church? We need to not just preach the gospel, we need to live the gospel. Amen? Amen. Last point. We need to find hope in his word. We need to find hope in his word. The sixth stage of grief, finding purpose, finding hope. Where do we find hope? We find hope in his word. We can, when we cast our burdens at him, we can reap his promises. And we find his promises in his word. I cannot stress the importance enough of reading his word at any time. But if you are grieving, if you're facing difficult change in your life, can I impress on you, you have to get the word from here into here. However you do that, that is fine. We live in the 21st century. There are a million ways to access God's Word. Get a podcast. Listen to it. Listen to the sermons that we've preached in the past. Listen to other people's sermons. Problem is with grief, sometimes you feel numb, don't you? You don't want to do anything. You, you can listen to a podcast and just sit on the lounge and do nothing. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go outside. You can just sit there and still take God's Word into your mind and your heart. If you want some advice about which preachers to listen to, I will happily give you some. Come and see me. I'll give you a bucket load of preachers you can listen to. Get the word into you. Sign to a Facebook page that sends out daily scriptures every day. Whatever it is for you. Get the word into here. Download a Bible app. Just don't stop getting the word into your heart. Because when we're grieving, when change is occurring... When things are uncertain, that's when we need it the most. And it's often when we try to do things on our own. Get the word into you. We need to look at his word. So anyway, the question is then, what does his word tell us about grief? What does his word tell us about grief? Three quick things. Your grief has a purpose. Your grief has a purpose. I say that statement and some of you are like, yeah. And others are like, nope. My grief has a purpose? I don't think so. Your grief has a purpose. I know that doesn't always seem true. I know that it doesn't even seem plausible or possible at times. But God can create purpose 
out of our grief. 2 Corinthians 1.4, it says this. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So nothing in the hands of God is worthless or useless or pointless. Not even your greatest loss. Not even whatever changes come along your path and you're not sure how to deal with it. If the uncertainty is crushing upon you, if you put it into His hands, God can create purpose from it. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, we just read from it, in the first 11 verses, he uses the word comfort 10 times. 10 times the word comfort. What does the word comfort mean? We say the word comfort. It comes from the Latin. It means with strength. Come forth with strength. That's what it means. What does the Greek mean, comfort? The Greek word means to come alongside and help. So when we comfort people, we are called to come alongside and help with strength. That's what comfort means. It's the same word that John used in his gospel to describe the Holy Spirit, the comforter. There is an established pattern for us to follow. As he comforts us, we are to comfort others. We are to come alongside and help share the burdens. And we offer strength to those in their grief who feel weak. In their weakness, we become their strength. When we are weak, he is our strength, yes? That's what Paul wrote. When we grieve and we feel lost, we cry out to God, he comforts us. It's not sympathy. It's not pity. Pity is a waste of time. Sympathy is a waste of time. We need comfort. We need people to feel sorry for us. That doesn't help us, does it? We need comfort. We need comfort. Someone to come alongside and give strength. That's what comfort means. Paul writes later in the same letter, Second Corinthians, talks about a burden he had to bear. He calls it a thorn in his side. We don't know what it was, but it was causing him grief. It was causing him grief. And he says, when I'm weak, you are strong. He says, I will take pleasure in the hardships and troubles. Pleasure. I'm not asking you to take pleasure in your grief or your loss. I'm not asking you to do that. But maybe, maybe when loss comes, when grief comes, we feel that crushing weight. It darkens our doorsteps. Maybe when we feel weakened by our grief, remember that He is strong. He is strong. And if we offer it to Him, remember, if we cast it before Him, He can create purpose from our grief. And when I've come through my grief, I can help another person when they go through their grief. I can give them the same comfort that God gave me. I find purpose in using what I have part of my story. I use my story to help people as they process their story. We comfort as God has comforted us. Secondly, the word tells us that God sees you and he knows you. God sees you and he knows you. In 1 Samuel, we see a very lonely and hounded figure. He's, he's fleeing from his homeland, fleeing from everything that he knows, and he's fleeing to an enemy's camp, an enemy's kingdom for fear of his life. King David, that's David. David fled from Saul, and he fled to where? He fled to the Philistines, the enemy. He fled to Gath. The problem was that the Philistines of Gath, that was Goliath's hometown. And uh, if you had to remember, David had killed Goliath. 
So he may not be welcome there when he gets there. I don't know. Maybe not. He's fleeing for his life, and he has nowhere to run but into the enemy's hands. And he faces uncertainty. If I go there, what's going to happen? Are they going to kill me anyway? Death surrounds me. Death has lost, David has lost everything that he's known. Lost everything. And he's alone. He's by himself. And in Psalm 56, he writes this. this, is this he wrote this at this time. And in verse 8, reading from the Message Bible, Psalm 56, 8, he says this, You've kept track of my every toss and turn through the sleepless nights. Each tear entered into your ledger, each ache written in your book. David reveals to us the God we've already seen in Jesus in John eleven thirty five, the God that weeps with us. A God who knows David's every heartache. Each night of sleep that eluded him, God was there. It records that God recorded every tear that David shed in his ledger. God sees your tears. He sees when you toss and you turn. When the tumult of life is manifested in your body as you try to rest and you can't get to sleep, you toss and you turn, you just can't lie still because it's just overwhelming. God sees you and he knows you. He knows your tears. He knows your aches. God saw Moses when he grieved the people. Moses went up the mountain and he came back down. And they hadn't faithfully worshipped God. They had made this golden calf to worship it instead. And in Exodus 32, we see Moses grieves. He is in grief over the sin of the people. And he says to God, forgive them. Forgive them, God. His grief led to intercession. David's grief led to an understanding that God sees him. And then when David lost his son, the son he had with Bathsheba, his grief led him to worship. Led him to worship. God sees us and he knows us. He knows what we need in the moment of our grief. He sees you. He sees every tear that you've shed, every ache of your heart. He knows them all. He knows exactly what you need, which is why. Which is why we need to come to him so he can give us what we need. He can lead us to intercession. He can lead us to worship. He can lead us to understanding. Whatever it is, God sees you and he knows you. And lastly, we finish with hope. The promise of God's word is that there is hope. His word is yes and amen. And his word reveals to us that he can, purpose, he can bring purpose to the unpredictable. He sees you and he knows you. And his word promises that we have a hope and a future. Revelation 21, verse 3 says this, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. All these things are gone forever. God's promise to us is that he will live amongst us. He will wipe our tears away for the very last time. Then there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more loss, no more grief, no more crippling change, no more heartache because of uncertainty. 
No more tears to be written in his ledger. He can close that book. It is done. That is his word. All these things are gone forever. This is the hope we find in him, our creator, our comforter, the completer of our faith. We cannot control when and where we face loss, but we can overcome despair. We can find hope in the hopelessness. We can cast our cares upon him to lay down our grief and reap the promise, the peace, the purposes of God to make sense of the seemingly senseless. We can share our burdens, laugh with those who laugh and weep with those who weep, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and be each other's strength and lead each other to our comforter. We can always find hope in his word. The unpredictable giving way to purpose. The chaos being shaped into calm. That he catches every one of our tears and knows every one of our heartaches. And that beyond everything, beyond the darkened doorstep that grief has brought us, there is hope. There is hope. There is a future where we will know him and he will live amongst us. The God who wept for us. And grief will be overcome. Grief itself will be overcome in the presence of our God. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.